Zach, you're late. Ah, sorry, Scott. There was a disturbance. Always a disturbance with you. Come on, look. Last year, we did 120 daily episodes about Sam Raimi's Spider-Man one minute at a time. This year, we have to cover the sequel. If we don't, not only are we defaulting on our podcast guarantee, but we'll lose the listeners forever. Look, you're my only hope. You need to record 125 daily episodes in six and one quarter months, or our show is canceled. All 125 minutes of Spider-Man 2? Including the time when Peter fights with a janitor's closet? Yes! What about that time Aunt May threw him a birthday party and only two people showed up? That too. Or when that guy from that really old movie, Army of Darkness, keeps him from seeing Mary Jane's play? Obviously. Even the time that Peter loses his powers and has to share an elevator with E! Entertainment's own Hal Sparks? We're covering every single minute of Spider-Man 2, from pizza time to train-related crimes and everything in between, on Season 2 of Spider-Man Minute. So if people want to listen, they should just go to DuelingGenre.com or wherever they get their podcasts, right? Right. Go! everyone and welcome to the protagonist podcast where each week we look at a great character in a great story i'm joseph dorowski and this week i am joined by returning guest taylor iverson to discuss gracie hart from the film miss congeniality welcome back taylor thank you i'm so excited to be back to talk about such an important movie (laughs) one of the uh, iconic films of 2000 right yes well, for anyone who's not familiar, Miss Congeniality was written by Mark Lawrence, Katie Ford, and Karen Lucas, and directed by Donald Petrie. It stars Sandra Bullock as Gracie Hart, Benjamin Bratt as Eric Matthews, and Michael Caine as Victor Melling. There are other people, but I just really had to make sure I got Michael Caine mentioned because he uh, is a highlight of the film for me, at least. And well, I'm hurt Ms. that you also didn't refer to her as Gracie Lou Freebush, but... <laughs> <laughs> yes uh well th- well at a point uh, in the film gracie hart does become what is it what, what's the full name again gracie lou freebush gracie lou F- F- yes Freebush. uh and this film tells the story of gracie hart a tough fbi agent who's a bit of a tomboy and has to go undercover at a beauty pageant and that's about all you need for the plot summary <laughs> of this film yeah that's about when it i was writing yeah, when I was writing the plot summary, I was like very pleased to discover, oh, no subplots, just one A plot to follow through. This one's going to be an easy, easy one to write up. No time travel, twists and turns. <laughs> no. None of the things that throw wrenches yeah. in our ability to write a concise summary. There's no time travel and miscongeniality. However, if there was, that would be very interesting. Yeah, yes. I, I'm not saying there shouldn't be time travel, but in the version of miscongeniality we have, there is not some Fair. trivia about this movie um i i thought this was surprising it opened up at number five at the box office which in 2000 a sandra bullock comedy and a pseudo rom-com that they're pitching i would expect it to be much higher and it made 13 million this opening weekend to come in at number five in the box office but in a rare feat if you track box office like very closely because you're playing a game uh involving the yearly box office totals for a podcast you know it's very rare for a film to go up from week one to week two and it actually increased its box office from week one to week two which usually is an indicator of good word, word of mouth um and it ended up making 106 million in the u.s and 212 million worldwide and was considered a hit uh, well do you for, have trivia for what other movies were out at that same time that would be interesting to know oh what it was uh, what was one through four yeah uh, i don't at the moment let me read through the rest <laughs> of the trivia i do have and we'll see if i've discovered it by the time okay, we, uh, sounds good. we take a break that gets edited out so fun plan uh, Miss Congeniality has a 42% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. That may have been a reason why it was opening up at number five. It didn't, the critics didn't love this one, though it has what? a higher like user rating or, or fan rating on like IMDb or Amazon. I am it, shocked. It's usually closer to five stars there. Sandra Bullock was nominated for a Golden Globe for Best Actress in Comedy, and the song One in a Million was nominated for Best Original, so- uh, Best Original Song Golden Globe. Neither won, though. Uh, in 2005, a sequel, Miss Congeniality 2, Armed and Fabulous, was released to less box office success and even harsher <laughs> reviews. And I don't know that I've ever seen that one. 
I think I've seen bits and pieces. Okay. I don't uh, think it's worth seeing. You could so Sandra Bullock. Uh, yeah, that's that's a skippable sequel. It's, yeah. it's not necessary it's to appreciate the full miscongeniality uh, narrative universe. Just watch the first one again. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Sandra Bullock was a producer uh, on the film and she wanted the swimsuit contest written out entirely kind of prescient because I think that's been removed from all the beauty pageants I mean scholarship contests that still exist right <laughs> I don't I don't think they do swimsuit contests anymore is that really uh, true I feel like they still do I, coming I, from I someone who has headlines. no knowledge I remember headlines saying that they were being dropped. So maybe when I'm, uh, again, in that sequence, it's going to be edited out and I'm double checking what else was <laughs> number one through four we could look into. Are there still swimsuit competitions? Wow, no wonder you sound so smart on your podcast. You just edit out <laughs> all the parts where you don't know anything. Exactly, exactly. I got to stop. Uh, making, I got to start making Brandon do that for me. <laughs> well, he includes all the stuff at the end. And Andrew does too. Well, like our outtakes <laughs> of, of things are at the end. I do have to say, though, she wanted it removed. Uh, I I couldn't find exactly why. I'm assuming because of the objectification of women aspect. Their swimsuit contest is very different, though. Like no one was in bikinis. It seemed much. There was much less um, male gaze happening with uh, the camera lens during it. Like it was just you know wide shots mostly. Oh, I um, was so... like, there were male gaze. There were like sailors cheering them on. Oh no, that's not during the swimsuit contest. But in other parts, yes, absolutely. No, but during I the swimsuit swear contest, that happened I... in the swimsuit contest. It oh, didn't... I thought I thought that was mostly uh, when the. Well, we'll get into it because yeah, there's some problem aspects but also did you notice well. that she's like she's the only one that's wearing a bikini like everyone else looked like they were in a one piece yes that's what i'm saying is yeah that they, was very weird yeah they, they i was like for her wanting it removed I, I was like i'm like okay did she get partially what she wanted with how they handled it um one other bit of trivia that i wanted to note i came across a buzzfeed article with you know things you didn't know about this congeniality and it mentions that heather burns who played Cheryl Frazier, who is uh, Miss Rhode Island, learned how to baton twirl for the movie because her talent is baton twirling. And then it says a stunt double was brought in for the flaming baton twirling scene. The stunt double, Coral Coral Noonan, was a PhD student and twirler for the Texas Longhorns at the University of Texas, which is where they filmed uh, that part of the pageant. Had no idea. That makes sense because the baton twirling was not as impressive when it wasn't flames. Not just because they weren't on fire, but I mean, yeah, flames up the ante considerably. But it just wasn't very good baton twirling if you look at the first time she performs. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I could do that, and I'm not. I just like the fact that the stunt double was a PhD student. That's strong work. Like dual. Well, did you notice that in when they like introduce uh, Cheryl that they're like, she's studying, has a master's degree in. I don't even know what they say. Something really smart. Like she's a scientist or something. I always <laughs> think that's very funny. Because they don't. Uh, well, speaking of things we're going to talk about, the, the, <laughs> the beauty pageant contestants do not get presented in the uh, most favorable light. No, but they are surprisingly diverse. Mm-hmm. Which I noticed and thought was interesting. Yeah. Oh, oh definitely. All right. I would have looked up what uh, was bumping this congeniality down to number five. And it turns out the last week of 2000, because this came out on December 22nd, was a pretty busy week. The number one film was Castaway. Strong choice. Number two film, What Women Want. Number three film, The Family Man. Number four film, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. And I think Family Man and How the Grinch Stole Christmas are both targeting the holidays, right? The Family Man is. Yeah. What's the family? Is that one with Nicolas Cage? Yeah, I think it's Nicolas Cage, kind of a pseudo- uh it's a wonderful life i've never actually seen it that's just I've what never i remember seen from marketing either. from I think 19 I years ago previews on abc family i don't know how it is that like i can still remember trailers for movies that i never saw from when i was a teenager or <laughs> even a kid sometimes and now as an adult i'm like i could go watch that but i just have this memory of the trailer you know so i don't it's know that probably I really because did. you have some traumatic event tied to that movie trailer I don't know why. Uh, what, what it would possibly be for for the family man. So that you know that was a busy weekend at at the box office. So I kind of understand why this was maybe a little lower than I expected. Uh, but like I said, with the box office, it did end up being considered uh, a hit in its time. So uh, Taylor, usually when we we're talking about these films, we do ask the question: How did you first come to this movie, or the you know whatever it is that we're talking about in this case, uh, Miss Congeniality? So do you remember? Like seeing Miss Congeniality oh, the first time you saw it? I don't think so. I don't think I have 
a strong first memory. It's just part of the Sandra Bullock comedy. Yeah, just realm. part of like the chick flick. I don't think this is a rom-com, though. I wrote that in my notes. Yes, I wanted to ask you, because one reason that I reached out to you to come onto this episode was that over on the Fandom Podcast, which you're a host on, uh, you had an episode dedicated to rom-coms. And I remember a brief, like, oh, it was, it was only a couple sentence debate about whether Miss Congeniality <laughs> counted as a rom-com. And rewatching it, I decided, no, it's definitely not. But other Sandra Bullock films from the 90s and early 2000s definitely are. So, like, While You Were Sleeping, that's oh, a rom-com. Yes, for sure. Okay. And so well, let's save some of that after I do the full. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. After the summary, we can we can discuss what genre this actually belongs to. Okay. All right. Well, uh, I I also don't exactly remember when I first saw it. Um, I remember. Well, I owned the DVD, and I think I got it in college. That's all I know. <laughs> I don't know. I think I want to say I have like a vague memory of my older cousins watching it at my aunt's house one time. And I think because I was if this movie came out in 2000, I was young, so I don't think I saw it then. But I feel like I remember them watching it in the living room and then I must have watched it later on because in 2000, I was like in kindergarten. <laughs> oh, well, I was graduating <laughs> high school. OK, yeah, then. it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. That's fine. It's Doesn't totally okay. me at all. <laughs> it's totally fine. <laughs> it's cool. I'm very mature for my age, as you guys can tell. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, before we move on to the full summary of this film, we want to thank you listeners for downloading this episode and listening to it. And we especially want to thank those of you who support us on Patreon. If you'd like to support us financially, we invite you to go to patreon.com slash protagonist and support our show with at least a dollar per month. We appreciate everyone who does that. And all supporters on Patreon at any level receive access to our special quick casts, which are monthly episodes in which we talk about uh, recent media that we've been uh, reading or watching. And we also talk about trailers for upcoming films and our reactions to those. And we also give monthly updates on our fantasy box office and uh i believe the week this episode is dropping avengers endgame is going to be coming out and i need that so badly right now for our fantasy box <laughs> office game because that is my pick and i am <laughs> losing badly to producer andrew right now <laughs> all patrons who support us with five dollars per month or more get to choose a topic for us to discuss so now uh a full synopsis of miscongeniality so the film opens with an eight-year-old gracie hart who protects a boy on the playground who is being bullied. When the bullied boy says he doesn't want to be saved by a girl, she punches him in the face. So we learn a lot about Gracie in that, in that flashback. Now we're going to jump ahead to an adult heart who is now an FBI agent. She's in a restaurant trying to secretly take video of computer discs getting passed so they have evidence of the crime. <laughs> oh, the technology in this film made me laugh a few times. It's amazing how quickly we oh, yeah. things look old, right? It definitely reminds me of the first Fast and Furious movie where the entire plot is that there's these trucks are getting robbed and the trucks are full of those tiny little like silver TVs that had the built in DVD player that were like all the rage. And that's like the that's the entire plot of this. The first movie is like, we got to stop people from robbing these. Oh, who's robbing the trucks? And that's all about them stealing the most horrible looking TV now that it's like, oh, no. That's I saw I saw a meme going around uh, of someone saying, I just watched the Charlie's Angel movie, which I think was from the late 90s or early 2000s. And they said, do you guys realize that the plot of this movie is the villain wants to embed software into cell phones that will reveal people's locations and will send out <laughs> locations. And everyone is freaked out about what a violation of privacy this is. And they said that plot has not aged well. <laughs> Not at all. Turns out if you just ask people if they'll do that for you, they will. (laughs) Turns out if you just do it very slowly, people are (laughs) fine with it. Yes. All right. So uh, Hart is in this uh, restaurant trying to get video of the computer disks being handed off between criminals. When she's finally able to get the video, the FBI comes storming in, but their main suspect starts to choke. So Crazy Hart performs abdominal thrusts. There you go. Which once upon a time might have been commonly referred to as the Heimlich Maneuver, but not now. Uh, Doing this is a distraction that allows the henchmen of the bad guy to draw guns and start shooting. Uh, And everyone starts scattering and running. The FBI does catch everyone, but one agent is shot. Don't worry, he'll get better. But Hart's boss is not happy with her because it is her fault that an agent went down. 
Um, in the meantime, there's been a terrorist called the Citizen sending vague threats that only make sense after the the fact. So there are these kind of nonsensical writings, and once some terror event happens, the FBI is able to say, "Oh, this is what that was referring to." And the FBI receives a new letter, and Eric Matthews, who is another agent who was there at the restaurant, is put in charge of the case. Not Gracie Hart. Wow, though she his last name is Matthews. Yes, like Eric Matthews from Boy Meets World. Huh. Okay, uh, speaking yeah. of generation divides. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm boy, sorry boy, you boy, weren't in boy, 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 world. That one was just past my time, but right in Andrew's wheelhouse <laughs> as my younger well, brother. Glad someone yeah, understands I'm, me on this I'm, podcast. I get that one. Also, Joseph, in, in mentioning all of the elements of technology and everything and, and culture that seem a little bit dated, it's also weird to realize that in this movie, using the word terrorist was not super common parlance because it's from the 2000s. It's from it's from 2000 and not 2001. Mm. Pre 9-11. Don't they call him a terrorist? I thought they did. I think they do, but it's not yeah. like, but the, the attitude towards it, like there's not a lot of baggage that comes with that mm. word in 2000 that comes yeah, with it in 2002. Right. Right, like if this was being made now, they would have the clear marker of domestic terrorist. You know? Yeah, instead of like, just no. terrorist. Right, I see what you mean. Um, so uh, Matthews is in charge. Um, Hart is not in charge, but she does take the letter, and she works out that this letter is co- a coded threat against the Miss United States pageant. I believe in real life we have Miss America, Miss USA. I don't know if any of those are bankrupt anymore, but those were the ones that we had, right? Right. So. So there's two different ones? Yes. And now this is the third fictional one, the Miss United States pageant. What's the difference between? I don't know. Trump owned one of them, I think. (laughs) So nothing good. I I have no idea what the difference is between those. Uh, Listeners, feel free to chime in with any notes if any of you are familiar with the differences between those beauty pageants. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I bet you guys have a really strong... (laughs) <laughs> audience of people who know the difference between those two things <laughs> you, you never know what venn diagrams are gonna be crossing uh and you deciding... know we don't have google or anything on this <laughs> no we couldn't google this our internet's down uh deciding the fbi decides that they need someone undercover and the agents use this really amazing late 90s technology to see what different agents would look like in, in a swimsuit competition which this is one of the problematic scenes where it's like come on guys yeah this you don't was be fired one of the, and, and this is an this, hr night, nightmare yes this <laughs> is one of the many scenes where i wrote is this movie really just about workplace harassment yeah oh yeah and well okay i'm gonna save some of my commentary for when we get to the discussion <laughs> point. uh despite being in trouble with her boss Hart is determined to be the best option who is not pregnant so they need to get Hart into the pageant and looking like a beauty queen. And they act, uh, well, they approach Kathy Morningside and Stanfields, who are the people who run the pageant, I mean, scholarship program, uh, about replacing Miss New Jersey uh, with Hart. And Miss New Jersey is going to be kicked out of it because she starred in a scandalous film. Uh, and so Hart's just going to slide into that spot. And now Kathy Morningside and Stanfields agree and they help Hart. Uh, and to help Hart become pageant ready, Michael Caine, I can't remember his character's name. It's Michael Caine in my mind, <laughs> meets her to teach her etiquette. And to, and uh, also he brings in dozens of professionals to try and make Sandra Bullock beautiful. I mean, this is not really a hard sell here. Yeah. Also, that was the first note I wrote. Trying to make Sandra be ugly is a joke. Yes. Like, like when she's the tomboy uh fbi agent she just kind of has like ratty hair a little like yeah she hasn't i was like it just looks like she didn't brush her hair but exactly. then she's still absolutely beautiful and then they act like it's this massive undertaking to make <laughs> yeah. her beautiful to just brush her hair <laughs> yes so we get a montage of that happening i do buy more so than the trouble they go to to make her beautiful the efforts that michael Kane has to do to teach her etiquette and how to walk like a beauty pad like all that worked better for me than yeah. Then everyone's saying, oh, could she look beautiful? <laughs> Again, guys, stop talking like that. Uh, so yeah, I just needs- felt like this. it was bad for my self-esteem for them to be like, wow, what an ugly troll. <laughs> I'm like, oh, no, this you should international see me when movie I don't. Star. Yeah, I'm like, you should see me when I don't brush my hair. 
Um, so Gracie Hart needs to bond with the girls and also perform the various aspects of a beauty pageant. But that is anathema to her tomboy heart, right? Like she just wants, she doesn't understand why anyone would want to do those things, but because this is her mission, she does her best. Um, and she can't shake some of her instincts. So for example, when she's performing her talent, which no one remembered that she was going to need a talent. So she ends up playing wine glasses, like with the, the <laughs> wet finger and rubbing it to make the music. Uh, she sees a man in the crowd with a gun and she leaps. And this is fantastic physical comedy. She leaps fully <laughs> from the stage to tackle this man who has a gun. However, the, the talent or the, the beauty pageants being held in Texas. So it's pointed out to her that many men in the crowd <laughs> had guns. I believe um, the actual line is everyone owns a gun. Uh, right. <laughs> it's Texas. Um, uh, during this process, when she's having to do these, I, we should note that Matthews is flirting with her, which is why this sometimes is categorized as a rom-com. Um, and also all of the male agents are being creepy about the video feed from the technology she's wearing to spy at the, you know, and, and communicate there. Uh, this is not a good look for men of the year 2000. Nope. Sexual harassment. This is why we have the Me Too movement. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, the FBI discovers that Miss Rhode Island may have belonged to a radical animal, animal rights group in her past and that that group bombed a building. Uh, so Hart takes her out for a girl's night out. And the, reason, the way she tempts her is by just bringing in a pizza. And then all the girls flock to her. Ravenous <laughs> and then there's a large girl's night out. Um, Hart does not think Ro Miss Rhode Island is a threat. Uh, but something about this whole case still is bothering her. And she keeps thinking about it. So the FBI catches the citizen. And says, shut down that operation. We caught the bad guy. And Hart refuses, saying there's still a danger to the contestants because that note was too easy to crack and it broke form from the citizen's MO. Uh, so she says, there's, there's something else going on here. Uh, Matthews is like partially convinced that Hart might be onto something, but he still uh, orders everything shut down. So um, Hart, without the support team of the FBI and Michael Caine there, um, she has to go to the pageant, but she doesn't know how to do her makeup or hair for it. So the, uh, all the other girls rally around to help her out. And Agent Matthews come back, comes back also to help her. And they realize that Kathy Morningside and her creepy son are the culprits because <laughs> they're upset that Kathy is being fired after this year's pageant. Um, and, but there's, the pageant is still going on. They're still trying to figure out where the bomb is and everything. Um, and the other contestants actually drink the water out of the wine glasses. So they're not playing the different notes when Hart is about to go <laughs> on stage to do her talent one more time. So she has no talent. So she asks uh, Agent Matthews to come out and she performs self-defense by beating him up. <laughs> That's her talent. He's beating up a man <laughs> on stage. Uh, the, the pageant is still going on. The winner is announced to be Miss Rhode Island. But Hart realizes that the bomb is in the crown. And this is... Maybe the highlight of the film, I think, the comedic <laughs> highlight, is we have William Shatner, who is speak singing the theme song of the Miss United States pageant. Uh, but Miss Rhode Island is about to be crowned when uh, Gracie Hart runs and grabs the crowd and they start wrestling over <laughs> the Miss United States crowd. Other contestants are trying to pull Gracie away. She punches one of them in the nose. Uh, finally, Gracie Hart gets control of it and, and confetti's falling down and she throws it into the air and there's this decorative Statue of Liberty in the background and it hooks onto one of the, 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 the points on the crown on uh, Statue of Liberty and then it blows up. Uh, while William Shatner's still just doing his talk singing. Uh, and then Morningside and her son are arrested. And the next morning, the pageant girls give Hart a Miss Congeniality Award. The end. Oh, and I guess she and uh, Agent Matthews are together at the end, kind of. Yeah, you didn't right? even... See, that's why it's not a rom-com, because you didn't even remember that that was important. <laughs> So yeah, let's uh, let's talk about that first, I guess. Uh, and then we'll, we'll we can get into some of the the you know, talk about some of the maybe parts that haven't aged as well. Uh, but what genre would you put this into? A comedy? Just just comedy? Maybe an action comedy? I would maybe say, I still think it's a chick flick. But it's not a rom-com. Okay, what is What's... Uh, the difference between a chick flick and a rom-com in your mind? Well, a rom-com has like the main story is like romance will they make feel... it together yeah or like yeah the story of how they get together which that has that happens in this movie but it's a very small element of this it, it's yeah it's, like it, you could leave it out and i don't like think yeah you honestly you forgot about it that's how <laughs> unimportant it was 
And I feel like, it, yeah, if that didn't happen, I wouldn't be like, wow, this movie's really missing something. Oh, it, it's definitely not like the narrative thrust of the story at all. Uh, it, you know, the story is this tomboy girl fish out of water in the beauty pageant world. Yeah, and that's where I'm they're milking to... the comedy. And, uh, you know, will she uh, or or won't she complete her mission is really where the tension is. Not will she or won't she get together with the other agent? I'm trying to think if there's an equivalent of like a chick flick that I wouldn't say is a rom-com. Because often those get conflated, I think, chick flick and rom-com. They get used synonymously. Yeah. Well, Taylor, the last time we had you on was for Mean Girls, and there's not a romantic narrative to that one either. No, see, this is where we disagreed. We talked about this on the podcast that Lena said that she thinks that that is a rom-com, and I said no. I can understand why. I mean, there's a romantic element, but that's definitely but, not the main point of that. But movie. yeah, it, it, it's not a critical romantic element. So yeah, I, I guess, guess that movie is it, the same it's thing. It's a different, well, the romance is a different critical role, but it's not, like, that's not the finale. No. And it's not, like, the whole story isn't, oh, you're watching Katie and Aaron get together. Mm-hmm. That's not what it's about. So definitely not a romantic comedy, but still a chick flick for Mean Girls? Yeah, exactly. So there, I guess that's another example of one. <laughs> also, chick flick, I feel like the more I say it, the more I feel bad about it. I feel like it's that derogatory. It's not a term. I, I can't remember the last time I really heard about it. It's not a common term anymore. It's a late 90s term, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Uh, well, I guess that's a good segue into <laughs> some late 90s elements of this. Uh, so we mentioned a lot of the technology. Just uh, it, It's surprising how like two decades it just looks ancient. No, <laughs> 20, 20 years on. <laughs> Uh, I guess that's something about how fast uh, technology does evolve and how what we have right in front of us now is what seems normal. Um, because everything sure from be super old in 20 years. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Like, this is probably going to be outdated even faster uh, than, than the stuff from the 90s. Uh, so like, we have the iPhone 92 now. <laughs> and it's it's gotten bigger for some reason. <laughs> it's breaking <laughs> breaking the rules of most technology uh, evolution. Um, so we mentioned the technology, like the fact that the agents are, or the bad guys are handling uh, like CD ROMs back and forth. And that's <laughs> what they need to get on film. Uh, and the, then uh, the site that they use, like the way they do the, um, what would this agent look like in a bikini contest? It simultaneously felt ancient and too beyond what they would have had yeah <laughs> they were doing exactly that. like it was, it was like, a weird doesn't mix. make any s- well just it doesn't make sense that just because you could like put a dress on them you wouldn't like just your the picture that they had of them in their suits you wouldn't be able to see what their body looks like yeah what their legs look clothes like. on that doesn't make any sense yes exactly <laughs> um like i think modern technology is getting creepily close <laughs> to, to that like i was watching some video about deep fake videos uh and how convincing <laughs> Uh, like video footage of someone speaking can now look and it's completely fake. Uh, but for the late nineties, I'm like, like again, it was just this weird mix of um, too old and too new, you know, too modern for, for, for that period uh, for that bit. But also like some of the laptops they're pulling up and things. It's just like, mm, that that's not how we do it anymore. <laughs> um, other parts that haven't aged well, should we address in more depth? The, uh, the objectification that, the male agents yeah, put the women through. There's lots of misogyny. There's lots of, and it's it's like it's pretty bad. Yeah, it is. It's like, like a fraternity, like what you'd expect for drunk college students who don't know any better. <laughs> to how how you expect them to be acting, not professional men who have been in their careers for a decade plus and working with women. But well, what and is, then, sorry, go ahead. Well, so I was gonna say, there's also, I mean, there's like the institutional sexism pressure where she's the only female agent and they send her to get the coffee for everybody. Yeah. And it's no. like, well, that's, some of that's that not even she, like, that's not. Well, I think that was because she was in the doghouse because she just got an agent shot. Like she was moved down the pecking order because of that. Yeah. Like, but how, it also, I, but like it, it seems a little weird because when she gets in that room, she is the only female agent in that entire room. Yeah. Well, well it'd be different if there was, if there was one other yeah. woman in that room it'd be maybe a little bit different but it's like no there's like 18 guys <laughs> and and grace 
Well, I think what the crazy thing is to think of, like, this movie was so popular and still is pretty popular. But back then, like, this was just so accepted that no one was like, wow, it's really terrible. We were like, no, this is all for laughs. Isn't it so funny how sexist they are? Isn't it so funny how they can sexually harass her? (laughs) And and it's not just... Oh, there's just creeps about it. <laughs> yeah, it's just so creepy. And then when she well, has then, the like, video feed going, and they're like, "Hey, hey, she, there, she's in the dressing room." Yeah, and, like, oh, and look again, at those all these light. professional like, men oh, who are supposed to be good. looking for a terrorist. Like, <laughs> like, there's, yeah, there's no this is a clues. bomb threat. <laughs> I really hope this isn't what the FBI is like. Not that yes, we would I, ever know. I sincerely hope not. <laughs> uh, but there, I mean, there is also. I, I think they try and do some nods to like, oh, but we're we're not just being awful to the women when they they put the swimsuit competition on some of the male agents, right? But it's like, you know, being awful to men doesn't excuse being awful to women. <laughs> like, just don't be creepy jerks. That's mm-hmm. that that would be the goal, not being equal uh, opportunity jerks <laughs> and creeps. Yeah, and I think uh, since you brought up the the swimsuit competition. I think it is worth pointing out that like the movie doesn't seem to be like feeding it to the audience to do the same thing. Yes. Like the camera is not doing the work to give the audience the opportunity to react the same way the agents are reacting in the movie. You like, you can't very effectively, I would think ogle during the swimsuit competition scene in this movie. Or when, when they're, they're excited about the, the feed that she's giving them backstage, you see like a flash of grainy footage. And then the camera jumps to the back of the monitor and all their faces uh, as they, as they are doing the ogling, (laughs) you know, that these male uh, agents are are leaning over and drooling. But I mean, the the whole idea behind it though, is that it's played for laughs. Like it's not supposed to, I don't know. Like, you know, like we're supposed to think that that's funny is that's how I perceived it, at least. Right. Yeah, and I think which that's the, definitely the, what, it, what it's going for. Problem. <laughs> yeah, right. which is like so problematic when you think about it. Like, oh, because it's one thing to show problematic behavior and be like, oh, look how problematic this is. But that's not even the lens. They're just like, nope. Isn't it funny how men are gross? And yeah. like the only nod they give to that that behavior being gross, which again, there's issues with this that we can dissect, is after Matthews starts to uh, maybe be moving towards a romantic uh, relationship with Hart, and some of the men, uh, with like the way her camera's positioned, they see her in a mirror and he's like, hey guys, she's an agent, and he steps in front of the screen and is like, let's be professional. But, that means like literally he was thinking of all these women that he was drooling over in the previous scenes as like not worthy of equal treatment right or (laughs) also the idea that you have to like be in a romantic relationship with a woman for you to respect to to be respectful to be Mm -hmm. like well man i'm only gonna if i'm dating you then i'll respect you otherwise screw the rest of women yeah they can be objectified (laughs) exactly yeah and and that's why like even though they're they're including that i think to give a nod to say like hey this behavior is not great it's it's still like really actually makes everything that came before and and his previously well-established attitude, because this is not one scene of him doing this kind of behavior. Uh, you know, it, it, it makes you like still scratch your head and like, what are they trying to say here? <laughs> you know? Well, I think and like it's... to me, that scene is trying to say like, I think what they were going for is, oh, look how sweet. Now he cares about her that he, but I'm like, no, that just actually is kind of more messed up now. Yes. It doesn't come off as like, oh, that's so sweet that he cares about her now and he doesn't want other guys looking at her. Right. Uh, yeah. It's Cause gross. then it can also enter into this kind of uh, protective like ownership yeah. aspect, which also not great, <laughs> not a great look for the men in this film. No. So uh, now that we've talked about some of the, the larger yeah, yeah, like, thematic issues, what does work about the film and what has aged well in your mind, Taylor? Just Sandra Bullock in general. She's a great <laughs> actress. She's got great comedic timing. I love her so much. I think more so than a lot of her other films, she also got to do physical comedy in this. Mm-hmm. And she can do some great pratfalls. Um, and even multiple pr- love... pratfalls without the camera cutting away <laughs> in some of the scenes. Yeah, I love a good uh, makeover montage, even though that is problematic within itself. I just love the idea of a makeover montage, even though she's, they just brush her hair. 
but that scene of her walking out is pretty cool. When she falls in her high heels. Yes. Which I've never walked in high heels. I assume that is difficult if you're not trained. It is very difficult. It doesn't seem like the human foot would naturally seek that kind of support. No, I don't know why. Why that's a thing that has to happen. (laughs) Well, some of the issues that we've been talking about, I think, (laughs) might... (laughs) Might, might might be a, a you know a, a possible yeah. factor. Yeah. <laughs> um, the patriarchy. What are you gonna do? <laughs> so Sandra Bullock definitely works as a comedic actress. And in talking about like writing the summary, um, I joked about how it's much easier to write a summary when there's only one plot. This is really absolutely her story, right? Like sometimes in films that have you you know you, even with female leads, you feel like. Um, the men around her are often like inciting aspects of it, but absolutely. This is Sandra Bullock's movie um, and, and crazy hearts story. Um, And we mentioned that, yeah, there is this kind of romantic element that's introduced, but it's not what is motivating her. And it's not um, the completion of her character arc to get with a man, which a lot of rom-coms have like the, the heterosexual pairing being achieved is what gives uh, meaning to these characters story. I don't feel that at all. Um, with with what we see from her no yeah it's a pretty like cool story to watch her journey and really her like i think it's about her growing as a person Mm -hmm. and expanding like her ideas and her views versus just being like and then i'm in love and now i feel like i'm great now everything's good because i brushed my hair and i found a man (laughs) um and the story is also, uh, you know, a classic. Can I uh, actually, can I jump on that a little bit? Yeah, go ahead. Because I think that's part of why they're like, you can still watch this today and you can say, okay, there's gross stuff. But then you can also say it's like, but ultimately, yeah, like her value is not, I brushed my hair and found a man. It's, I brushed my hair and also like kind of, reevaluated myself and felt better about who I was and kind of embraced who I was a little bit differently. And also yeah. broke, well, broke and down think... some of my own prejudices about the pageant. Yeah, yeah, the pageant. yeah. Broke, down, broke down my own, my own issues a little bit and, and kind of had a therapeutic experience by stepping out of my comfort zone. And I think that's a positive message that they definitely got through. And I think that's one of the reasons that people still can watch this and enjoy it and, and kind of wiggle past the grossness and be like, but really, like stepping out of your comfort zone and being yourself and and like finding what really makes you comfortable and things like that is good. Right. Uh, like in the notes for possible discussion topics, I put there's an odd mix of embracing stereotypes and pushing against them simultaneously in this movie. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and I think there's an odd mix of some objectification of women or or at least uh, casual misogyny that is accepted as the base level of human interaction and can be milked for laughs versus like the big finale for her is like her big talent is beating up a man on stage like that yeah. that goes against you know some of that so there is um within this the these nits that we can pick at and say that hasn't aged well and i'm glad we've moved past that but also it was pushing against some of the uh the the roles that a lot of women would have been given uh in hollywood uh it's pushing against some of the stereotypes both uh for her as the tomboy and and also for um the girl the pageant girls like she she really doesn't think highly of pageant girls (laughs) Mm -hmm. initially and she comes to really kind of like a lot of them and also the pageant girls would not have liked fbi agent gracie hart initially like if they'd just been put in a room together before they'd gotten a chance to know each other but in the end they're giving her this miscongeniality award and saying thanks you know for not just for saving our lives but for being our friend like we we do like you as a person guys miscongeniality is a feminist movie it's all mm-hmm. about the feminist agenda. <laughs> I don't know what it's all about there, but there are definitely um, aspects that, that are, it, you don't have to like, oh, I'm going to work really hard to pull this out. It's there. Like that was deliberately put in, like her talent being beating up the, the agent on stage. That was well, I, not, well, I think you know, something that just kind of happened. Yeah. But I think even the idea of her growing to accept like, these women that maybe care about makeup or these certain things like they aren't just shallow and that there's she can respect them in some way and then they can also respect her for 
maybe being a little bit you know more tomboy or whatever you want to label that as and still being like that's cool it's fine we can both respect that we do things differently and we can still support each other Mm -hmm. it's very feminist um and the uh amongst those girls (laughs) the, the, the the beauty pageant girls i want to talk some about miss rhode island she's definitely the most developed of um of these of, of these other girls and she That's does have not the true. classic line of the film miss, Boy, uh, miss new york is the most developed when she starts oh. screaming at the end about being a lesbian oh <laughs> but <laughs> she is I my favorite i don't know that's the most character development that we're gonna get (laughs) but it's but it's pretty intense for 2000 yeah it is well even though they cut to the control room saying can she say that (laughs) like the control room can we say lesbian and i was like ooh, that made me do you guys watch marvelous mrs mazel uh no it's on my to get to list there's a lot of media uh, out there in the world and there's a lot on my to get to list so she's like a stand-up comedian you know that but there's a scene where she gets pulled off stage for saying pregnant and he's like, you can't say that on my stage. That's disgusting. And that's what it reminded me of. Can we say like, lesbian? Uh, famously in uh, in I Love Lucy, they well they slept in separate beds, but she was pregnant for a season. But they could never say the word pregnant. And then the child came, and they couldn't talk about the childbirth. It was just <laughs> it just happened. Here is this child, and we're not going to talk anything about any of that process because that's gross and disgusting, and no one should do it. Fair. Uh, <laughs> sorry uh, my bad so miss rhode island uh yes who is the baton twirler uh we get so many odd flashbacks to her life which are often tragic <laughs> yes like, in, in how controlling her parents were to her like I can't remember everything that are but you get the idea that she was raised in a super conservative very controlling uh environment and was uh like a lot of her life choices were made for her it wasn't you know uh, she was she was not allowed to make her own choices when she was growing up but the most awful one is uh when gracie hart gets her drunk to find out like could you be the bomber she's like have you ever done anything wrong in your life and she says uh my literature professor once asked me to come to his office to talk about a paper and he attacked me and I think one of the most horrifying parts of that, which so much of it is, and Gracie Hart like absolutely is saying, this is wrong. You need to be horrified by it because she's brushing it off and saying that happens to everyone. And she's like, no, it shouldn't. And it doesn't. <laughs> but also the fact that when she was saying like, have you done anything you, you feel guilty about? This is the story she does, which she should have no guilt. But society, like she was conditioned to have guilt that that which, happened to her. Also watching this scene, I was like, I'm very confused about what the movie is trying to, like, are we supposed to think it's funny that she's like, I don't do you understand what I'm asking? Yeah, like are you like, supposed to like gasp out in laughter? Is that Yeah, are you supposed to be like, oh my gosh, that's so funny that she thinks that that's the worst thing? Like I didn't understand her. I'm like, because that seems like really dark. And I yes. don't I mean, from where I am sitting now in society, I was like, this is horrible. But I'm like, I don't think they would play it like that in a movie. They wouldn't be like, all right, let's give this horrible backstory about how this woman was sexually assaulted. And that'll be fine. Right. And I don't know, I, again, like, is this a marker of the time it was made? Or was it a choice by the producers for her to say that that is what one of the things she feels guilty about in her life? Right? Yeah. It was just interesting where I'm like, I don't understand what, I don't know, the makers of the movie were trying to tell us or get us to feel in that scene. So right, it just well, seemed I, very I, jarring from to have them like all be like partying and bonding and having girl time to be like, okay, let's have this really dark discussion. I totally agree that it's one of those that like sticks out because I'm not quite sure what the reaction was supposed to be. Um, obviously like for, for Gracie Hart, like she says, well, you like through all of this conversation and her night out, she says, you cannot possibly be the villain <laughs> that we're looking for. Um, yeah. But I don't know, like you're saying, what is the goal for the audience reaction at this point? Um, other than, like rooting for Miss Rhode Island more. Like you want to see her succeed more as you find out more about her backstory. Um, no, I but, guess that's true. But that's a really dark turn in the middle of this comedy, right? And, and again, the way it's presented, I'm not sure if the expectation was that there'd be kind of like stifled laughter or outright laughter at the way she's talking about this. I don't. Yeah, 
I don't know. Well, cause then she's like been drinking and then they kind of make it funny afterwards when she's like, I can show you right now how to defend yourself. And she kind of falls over. And so just like very interesting where I'm like, I don't understand this scene. And, the- uh, and maybe it's supposed to be setting up uh, Gracie's talent later. Like this is a great talent for women, self-defense, you know, I, I don't know. It just seems like they could have done it. Um, no, it's probably just the time. No. I don't know. But we do end up rooting for Mr. Island and she does win in the end. So there is that. But also she does have the most quotable line of the film. <laughs> when, <laughs> when William Shatner asks her her perfect date. And I don't have it memorized, so I have to go look it up. So uh, the question is... <laughs> Miss Rhode Island, please describe your idea of a perfect date. And she responds, that's a tough one. I would have to say April 25th because it's not too hot, not too cold. All you need is a light jacket. (laughs) Which, if I'm not mistaken, is the motivator for this episode. (laughs) Well, we are dropping it the week of April 25th. (laughs) My favorite Uh, Miss Rhode Island moment is at the very end when she is just like sobbing while gracie takes the crown from her and she's just (laughs) like that scene where it just cuts to her and she's just like wailing and just like totally sobbing as the confetti falls and and my and william shatner's doing his talk singing in the background and it it really is a great comedic finale um you know for whatever issues this film may have it nailed that finale uh pretty perfectly uh and i i love that like the setup for that joke it's so great because it it feels like a non sequitur at first and then it's not and then you like you it takes a moment to process exactly <laughs> why this joke works so well but it is one of my favorite jokes in, in the film for sure all right i have a question so i don't know if you notice this but sometimes when i watch movies or things like for podcasts i like try to pay super good attention to notice weird things and i noticed this for the first time um, even though I've seen this movie 4,000 times. But in the scene in the beginning of the movie where um, Sandra Bullock is like, hey, I figured out um, what the letter means. And she's like trying to tell them. And they're like walking. She's wearing a corsage or like a boutonniere pinned to her suit jacket. And I don't know why. But that's what I noticed. Oh, I, I did it's not gotta be that. like, Yeah, it's got to be like some deleted scene. So, Oh, I know. And when I was looking up trivia, there was a deleted scene with her father getting remarried and her mm, father was played by the it. dad from Gilmore girls. What's his name? Oh, that actor's name. I can't remember. Or the oh, Edward well, Herman. You know. Yes. Edward Herman was playing her father and he was getting remarried. So that must've been the deleted scene. Okay. Yeah. Cause I, all of a sudden I was looking at the scene and I was like, why is she wearing like a boot in here? That doesn't make any sense. And I was like, there has to be a deleted scene where that makes more sense. <laughs> Uh, that deleted scene apparently included another lesbian joke. So there we go. Perfect. <laughs> Maybe they decided we have one and we're only allowed one. They're like, we can only say lesbian once. <laughs> I also love the the running joke of that William Shatner will never say Texas. He says Texa. If you notice, because he won't say Texas. I, <laughs> I notice it every time because it's so jarring. I'm like, you didn't say Texas. You just said Texa. <laughs> William Shatner is really good in that role. And I can't tell if he's acting. <laughs> Fair. Uh, he, at, at this point in his career, he's kind of a caricature of like everything he did post Star Trek. And some of his line deliveries during Star Trek, too. <laughs> I also disagree with um gracie on her harsher punishment for parole violators very against that that's one that also i think a lot of the national mood has shifted on that yeah i'm like (laughs) on that discussion um, listen gracie the idea of the idea of reformation the criminal justice system yeah i'm not cool with that i also thought the rehabilitation and reformation push has been a lot stronger in the last decade i think than like growing up i don't think that line would have jarred me at all but Mm-mm. from all the conversations about our criminal justice system from the last 10 15 years i i don't think that's that would have been the position to give her no as someone who works with parole violators i was like no that will not help at all shut up gracie um and then there was another there was another one where she 
um she like pulls the gun on what's his face on her pageant coach and then when she she walks away he makes a joke and he's like how do you feel about gun control and then she he goes favorable which i feel like doesn't make sense right yes i know i i remember bumping on that as well yeah i didn't understand that or if i like i'm like no she would be against gun control because she likes gun controls gun or like she doesn't want other people to have guns i always took it i always took it as he was like commenting on that question like ironically oh what a favorable question for her to get like like he's ironically saying "Mm, this is an auspicious scenario oh i always took it as him commenting like it still doesn't quite work yeah yeah, where I just like bumped up because uh, it just like hit me and I went, but gun control, that's not what that means. <laughs> like that's they're constantly wrong. having to pull guns out of her fashion gowns, her beauty fashion gowns. They're like, give us the guns. <laughs> guns or donuts, you know. Yeah. Is there anything else that stood out to you on your most recent rewatch of Miss Congeniality? Yes, when they all started singing on the bus or whatever, I just thought, oh, this group singing reminds me why I hated girls camp. That's what I thought. <laughs> I well, okay. Speaking of things that I bumped up against, I was surprised they were on like a high school yellow bus. Like I would think a national broadcast pageant would have a different means of transport. I'm sure that's just a a, a failing on the studio. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like we booked we booked a bus. Like maybe they gave it to the wrong PA. It's like get, get us a bus tomorrow, okay? All right. <laughs> And and so that PA was maybe a little too young and hadn't had enough experience outside of high school. It's like, yeah, I got you a bus. School bus. It's a bus, right? It works. I and, really And not love... a charter bus. <laughs> no, that wouldn't be necessary. That'd just be too much. I loved when Michael Caine's character screamed, this woman has no talent. <laughs> uh, okay. I, we haven't mentioned it. I think... Um... Cedric Bullock is great. He Michael Caine is another high point of the acting of this film, and his comedic Definitely. delivery is very on point. He just knows how to deliver a line. Even if it's a line like favorable, which doesn't work, I still laughed, and then I was like, wait. Yeah, no, <laughs> same I thing, I because... laughed. And then I went, no, that doesn't make sense. Yeah, and I think it's because of his delivery. Like he, His comedic timing is so good that he lands a joke that doesn't actually make much sense. Another one of my favorite lines was when they're telling her that she has to hang out with Miss Rhode Island to get dirt out of her. And Eric is like, just pretend like she's me and there's something you want to know and I won't tell you. And Sandra Bullock goes, you want me to beat it out of her? I laughed really hard at that line. <laughs> um, well, and I, I think both for Sandra Bullock and Michael Caine, a lot of the comedy besides great timing for the delivery of the lines, they do great comedic facial acting, both of them. Uh, yeah and, and, and like it's different like she does some pretty broad like eye rolls and stuff and he does just like some tightening of his jaw and some scenes and like it still yeah. stands out on the screen uh you know his, or the, even the like the broader facial reaction stuff like you talked about like him teaching her manners or like them mm-hmm. trying to glide together that was pretty funny yes yeah they're both very talented uh, physical uh, comedians um, in and in ways that are very interesting to watch. You know, not just laughing, but like, like, oh, that's that's a good performance. Uh, any other favorite parts of the film or anything else that you want to touch on in our discussion? I think I'm good. I think that was all my notes. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I think this is an interesting one for us to tackle on this because like we said, some parts of this are an artifact of 20 years in 20 years. So much has changed, particularly in how um, the portrayal of men objectifying women is acceptable for comedy, (laughs) you know, and and how much it's not. Uh, And and you you do feel it, but at the same time, I think there's enough really interesting work that's being done with some of the uh, strengths of Gracie that are on display and some of those deliberate choices um, uh, in like, uh, you know, her self-defense talent that just makes this uh, not as problematic as it could be. <laughs> like I, when I was looking up <laughs> trivia about this, I came across like someone's list of like, uh, miscongeniality is, you know, is awful for men and women. I'm like, what are they talking about? And like the, they're like, 
at the beginning, it's shown that her being a strong woman in the flashback when she's eight years old is bad. I'm like, well, that's kind of the point is the irony of all this. <laughs> like, They're not really embracing that <laughs> as, as the message of the scene. Like as, as a semi-savvy audience member, you should be working out the irony that is on display uh, in that scene. So I, I think there are sometimes criticisms uh, that are unwarranted uh, that, that and I could see some of those being leveled at this congeniality. And I think there are some that are warranted as well. And it's an I interesting like mix of both. If anything, that opening well. scene told me again, confirmed that men are horrible even when they're boys. <laughs> like that's, that's what I took away. I'm like, oh, so men have always been trash. That makes sense. <laughs> they really did nail the 1980 playground scene <laughs> with the kid with the spiked <laughs> hair, the trapper keeper, <laughs> the, the denim vest. <laughs> uh, the the fashions in the 1980s, like instantly can, you, you know what era you're looking at when a film embraces 1980s fashion, even for young children on a playground. Like, I think it said 1983. I don't think it needed to say 1983 in the, on the screen for the flashback. I don't think it needed to say New Jersey. (laughs) I don't think that needed to be a thing, but you know, they went there. (laughs) Well, it said New Jersey, 1983. Oh, right. That, that part. I also remember yeah, the discussion said, about New like Jersey, why New Jersey Garden State. <laughs> and I just loved that like that was I don't know, can you just imagine a movie saying Utah 1983? Like what a broad thing to say. <laughs> well, New Jersey has a specific reputation. I guess. Especially when she then works in New York. <laughs> Are you trying well, to say I, she's it may New have also Jersey been setting short? up that she's going to be taking over the Miss New Jersey spot, right? Yeah. So that was just so, like a I mean, classic joke. I don't know that, that we they needed. Well, they, they didn't need to because she felt like it. They would they were going to kick out a girl. It didn't really matter <laughs> what state it was. Did you guys do the game of find Miss Utah? I did not. Oh, that was, was I, like, I didn't do it this time. But I watched this movie probably like a month ago at a at some friend's house. And we the whole time just were like, we have to find Miss Utah. And we didn't find I'm her. I'm pretty sure you can see her on the bus. No, you can't see her. Well, maybe you can, but we couldn't find her till the very, very end when they do the super cool dance, and they're holding the statue. Yeah, all of dressed as the, all dressed as the Statue of Liberty and holding a Statue of Liberty book shaped like their state. Yep. What do you think they do for Michigan? Oh, uh, for that one, they probably cut out. The Is upper it just peninsula. the mitten? Yeah, they left out the upper, the UP, the upper peninsula. That's there. really who you should be looking for. <laughs> um. There was something you were saying about the states that was triggering something. Oh, what was it? I'll just start naming states and maybe it'll trigger it again. I will say that one part of the production that does stand out a little bit is that the cool girls at the pageant who go out on the girls' night are the ones that make the final five because they're the ones who have speaking roles. Yes. (laughs) Agreed. And uh, you know that's a cost saving measure. Because there were, but uh, if you notice, there was like one or two that didn't, that weren't a part. Like they didn't take the time to call out their names. But if you notice, like they'd be standing in the top ten or the top five. Like I think the top five had well, like one as, one random blonde chick that had never spoken. As as a point about calling out their names, I think three of those top five, I couldn't tell you their names. I only know their states. <laughs> That is true. Well, even I, I know the Miss Rhode Island one has a name in the film, but she's just Miss Rhode Island, right? She's Cheryl. It's Cheryl Frazier. Frazier. Cheryl Come Frazier. on, Joseph. You should be able to get locked into that. Okay, but if, if you said to someone, you know, in Miss Congeniality, when Cheryl Frazier says, they'd be like, what? But if you say, when Miss Rhode Island says. Okay, that's probably fair. <laughs> All right. That's probably fair. Yeah. Uh, Andrew, do you have any final thoughts as you've been popping in? Uh, no, not not in particular. I think I've just glommed on to some of the things that you guys have been saying. So I didn't I didn't feel like I had anything unique to bring in. I All feel right. like you well, that have very gonna... unique things. Don't be down on yourself. We appreciate well, it. I didn't, I, didn't, I, I didn't have any autonomous things to bring in. <laughs> See, now you're using big words. That makes you unique. Well, that's going to wrap up this episode. Thank you for joining us. Uh, Taylor, thank you for coming on as a guest. 
And thank you listeners for downloading this episode. For show notes and links to all the other great Dueling Genre shows, you can go to DuelingGenre.com. Also, please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in your podcast app of choice, and please leave us a review. That really helps us out. We would like to thank Nick English, who designed our logo, and Scott Tofty, who composed our theme music. If you enjoyed this episode, you might want to check out episode number 47, when we talked about another Sandra Bullock film, While You're Sleeping, or episode number 146, when we had Taylor on as a guest to talk about Mean Girls. You can suggest stories or characters for us to discuss or give us any comments or corrections by emailing feedback at protagonistpodcast.com. We're also on Twitter. You can follow at protagonistpod and at Jadorowski. And our producer, Andrew, is at Dizminute. And our Facebook fan page is facebook.com slash protagonistpodcast. We enjoy our conversations there with our listeners. And would love for you to say hello anytime. Taylor, where could our listeners find you? Oh, you can find me on Twitter, my personal account, where I'm much more unfiltered than I was here, which is hard to believe, I know, at Tay Jane Tay, that's T-A-Y-J-A-N-E-T-A-Y. Um, or you can also listen to my podcast that I have like with these other two guys that are kind of cool, but kind of not really. I carry the podcast, really. But um, it's called The Fandom Podcast. You can find us on Facebook or, you know, download us on iTunes, wherever you find, you know, podcasts like that. And yeah, it's real fun. We talk about nerdy stuff and sometimes I don't really understand what we're talking about. And sometimes I make them talk about rom-com. So it all balances out. (laughs) I really enjoyed your rom-com episode. Thank you. (laughs) I was very proud of that one. It was a great one. And we've had everyone from the fandom podcast on and we've both been on over there as well. So, but I mean, as far as favorites, it's me, right? Oh, of course. Okay, perfect. Glad. I mean, you do don't, know my don't name. Don't tell Nick so. and Brandon that I said that. <laughs> Never. <laughs> that, that you have a favorite. <laughs> you have a favorite. Nick and Brandon, you say. Are you sure that's their names? <laughs> <laughs> Look, Taylor, our listeners don't know that I called you Tyler a minute ago because Andrew edited that out. <laughs> but it'll be in at the end. Feel free to cry laugh like all three of us did. <laughs> Uh, listeners, if you would like to support the show financially, you can buy a topic for us to discuss or show your appreciation with a monetary donation by going to patreon.com slash protagonist. Thank you again for listening, and we'll be back next week to discuss another great character in a great story. So long. Oh, Chris O'Donnell, Bill Pe- Is this the one where they're carrying, like, explosives up the mountain? So it does take know. place on a mountain? I don't... I thought yeah. it was Everest. You're supposed to be telling us. You're the one looking it up. While climbing in the Monument Valley, siblings Peter and Annie lose their father, Royce, after two falling amateurs leave the family dangling. Royce forces Peter to cut him loose to save Peter and his sister. Three years later, Peter is retired from climbing and become a wildlife photographer. Oh, but he's going to have to go in one more time. I love one more time. <laughs> you, you love a gotta go one, one more time <laughs> well but annie went on to become a renowned mountain climber their relationship Ooh. is strained as annie blames peter for the death of their father <laughs> so it's gonna the mountain's gonna bring him back together i guess so yeah peter reunites with annie at the kg base camp where annie is planning, planning the summit the expedition is funded by a wealthy industrialist bill paxton <laughs> okay so this is the next movie we're watching for my next episode right (laughs) no i think you should cut out the name of the movie and be like guys we will venmo someone a dollar if they can tell us what movie this is but andrew you a good pull on the uh that it was a mountain climbing movie there finding forrester yeah finding forrester i believe that is uh oh what's his name with the accents last movie ever uh oh that's uh sean connery yeah State and Maine, meet the parents. Those are, that's your top twenty. Okay. Sean Connery could come back if he wanted to. Oh yeah, people I, would I, let him. Uh, yes, fans and studios would let him. How has he not voiced a character in one of these animated films? Could you not say Sean? Can you come in the sit last in the, booth in the last for, nineteen years, <laughs> come sit in a, booth, a single one. in a booth for three days. And Gracie Hart ignores orders and performs the Heimlich maneuver to save his life because she wants him to rot in jail, not die right when he's being arrested. Uh, however, this Joseph, is a bit of a distraction. Yeah, Joseph, just a quick clarification. It's preferred to call those abdominal thrusts. <laughs> <laughs> 
Wait, so the Heimlich Maneuver <laughs> is now abdominal thrust. thrusts. Well, on that note, I think we're going to wrap up this episode. <laughs> thank you, Tyler, for coming on as a special guest. And thank you, listeners, for downloading this episode and listening. Did you say Tyler? Did I say Taylor? I said Taylor. Did I say Tyler? Sorry, I'm trying not to I laugh. I don't know. You definitely Did I said say Tyler? Tyler? I really thought I said Taylor. In my head, I said Taylor. <laughs> I heard Tyler. I was like, who's Tyler? I'm very sorry, Taylor. <laughs> like, what's happening? I lose to you every week. All right. Let me give that outro. One more read. Now, Andrew, you've got another uh, You've got another blooper for the end. This is going to be a fun one. Oh, no. I must have said Tyler because you both heard Tyler. Tears started forming in my eyes. Was there was there a patron that requested something and we didn't mention them? Tyler. Maybe I'm maybe I'm dumb and there is a person named Tyler they have to think. (laughs) (laughs) No, that 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 was me being really been an extra person recording this whole time. Tyler has been on the other line. Thanks, Tyler. <laughs> oh, I'm really glad that I called it out because that would have been awkward. Yeah, definitely. Oh, I'm well, really I was sorry. like waiting. Like, well, maybe you don't understand what's happening. <laughs> well, and I had to hesitate because I'm like trying to think. I'm like, is there a way that this, like, that the recording could have skipped or like the connection was fuzzy? That Taylor became Tyler. I'm like, there's no way. Nope, that's it a different like, that, entirely. That's <laughs> definitely. Not a computer thing. That must have been. I don't even know. Real. Like, so let me. Okay. So first let of me all, pull that. Taylor. Let me just call it out. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, Taylor, we've had you on the podcast before. I've said your name multiple times this podcast greatly, and I was staring at the ZenCaster feed where your name is Taylor right there. <laughs> like, I was okay. looking at how, how long we we've been going. So I don't know what happened there. Honestly, Sorry. it <laughs> happens all not anymore, but it happened. It would happen all the time when teachers would call roll. They would constantly call me Tyler, so it really. I bet. I bet it's the E R. They see the the T and then the L E R, and they skip the A. I mean, if anything, it was very triggering for me to be called Tyler. <laughs> oh, no. I don't, don't want to trigger you. <laughs> oh, man. Are, are you going to be okay if this if this <laughs> cut makes it into the yes. the outtakes? I would want nothing more. It's not embarrassing so for we had me. A, yeah, I'm the one that flubbed it, Andrew. Uh, 